everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast that uh, sometimes talks about other things like music, <laughs> uh, which I, I preface this episode that way. I bet you that's what you're going to hear a lot about. For those of you unfamiliar, uh, Movie Mumble is just a monthly podcast where four friends take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. We can pick anything at all, new or old, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, something we've never seen or seen a million times. At the end of each episode, we announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we do spoil everything we talk about, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, please watch a film before listening to its episode. I said this one's going to get musical, um, probably because of the subject matter, but before that, I'm your host and lead vocalist tonight, Scott Murray, and I'm joined by our lead guitarist, Joel Lewis. Hello. Our drummer, Tim Gerard. But and our bassist, locking it down, Zeke Perez. Slapping the bass. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, my God. That was perfect. Slapping the bass. <laughs> Slapping the bass. <laughs> Is that a leprechaun? As I mentioned, every month we take turns picking a film. This month, Joel was our movie selector, and he brought us It Might Get Loud. So, Joel, if you'd like to introduce your film and how you discovered it and why you brought it to us, please take it away. Yeah, so just before starting, I was saying I don't think I've been this excited to talk about a movie on the podcast ever. Like, I ha- I watched it Wednesday, and then I watched it with the director and executive producer commentary on Thursday, and I haven't stopped playing guitar since it. And I am just like fucking vibrating right now. Like I am so excited to talk about this movie. It's one of the, the first ones I had on my list when I was like, what what to watch for movie mumble. So I'm I'm just so excited. I I I, I hope you didn't hate it. <laughs> um I I discovered this as I was kind of starting to get into Jack White. And after this, I was very much into Jack White. Um I think I found clips of it on YouTube. And at some point somebody had posted the whole of it on YouTube, maybe like in a 10 part. And then the second I finished it, I bought it on iTunes and then I watched it the next day. And it's another one, like every three months, every two months I put it on and then I can't stop. Like I play my guitar till my fingers bleed, like jukebox hero foreigner, that whole deal. Like it, it's, 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 it's so much about, I think we talked about how Sandlot epitomized what baseball felt like. This movie epitomized what electric guitar feels like, what music and rock feels like to me. So it's, there's no plot. It's a documentary, but not really. It's an exploration of the electric guitar through three artists, the edge from U2, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin and Jack White of at this time, the White Stripes and the Rack and Tours, because this came out in 2008. Directed by David Guggenheim, right? Davis Guggenheim, director of An Inconvenient Truth. Um, and it's it's just an exploration of these three guitarists, and it's it's a million different things. It's not just about the writing of one particular song. It's not about one particular lick. It's not about one particular history. It's all of those things. And how these three careers are shaped by and informed by their relationship with guitars. And it's 
it's incredible. I, I, I love it so much. I, it's kind of in its own category because it's not quite a rock doc. It's, it's not quite, it's guitar porn. Plain and simple. Like that is as close to the genre as, as you can get. It's guitar porn and it's amazing. Um, I'm going to stop my, my summary there. Uh, I have, uh, <laughs> I, uh, with the first impressions segment, I did want to ask what your background with the three artists were before watching this um, and how you felt about them previous to watching this and now how you feel at, I'm most specifically curious, Tim, to feel, see how you felt about Jack White after this. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Cause I, I know you're not, not as big a fan mm-hmm. of him or haven't been. So, and also like my relationship with the edge and you too is kind of been shaped by this, uh, this movie. So uh, Scott, first reactions. I mean, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I, I already liked Jack White. I generally enjoy Led Zeppelin, but mostly for the singles. And otherwise, I recognize them as pillars of rock and roll. Uh, and my experience with you too was, oh yeah, that exists. That's about <laughs> it. I think I've had about as much experience with them in jokes as <laughs> in listening to their music. It just never... It never clicked for me, you know, and I, I loved Jack White. I loved his blues roots. I loved the sounds he makes. It just works. You know, it, it feels good. There's something about his art that feels very, very much like the experience of an American growing up with music in the home, I guess, even though I'm sure my history is completely different from his in about a million different ways. It it connects, right? Um, the page stuff was kind of a revelation, but mostly the the edge was a revelation. I wrote down in my notes that, you know, with music you like, obviously you like it. With music you don't, I always just kind of assume there's something going on there, right? And it's just not connecting to me and that's fine. And if you can't figure it out yourself, sometimes you can, you know, you go, oh yeah, here's what people like about this. I don't, but that's what people like you know, someone can point it out to you, right? I've taken classes about music. I've talked to my dad. I've had music instructors. I've played it. And sometimes, or just, just you, Joel, like you did with Aerosmith, right? We sat mm-hmm. in my apartment and listened through whole chunks of their discography. That was a great night. From a band who I knew a handful of singles to, like, I get it. I get what they're doing. I get what the appeal is. I get what's special about it. I didn't necessarily, like, you know, change my tastes, but I, I understood them better, right? That has never happened for me for you two. No matter how many times people have tried, I, and that's that's some. It's about halfway through my notes here, and at the very end of my notes here, I have, I got it. <laughs> so, so I got it. That's it. Yeah, that's my first impression. Was <laughs> it was fun, and also I learned something. There you go, Tim. What about you? Um, yes, I mean I, I. I, yeah, I did. I did love it. Um, it was, I, I think I definitely developed, uh, developed an appreciation for the, the other two guitarists that I, that I didn't already love, you know, like, um, I mean, I developed more of appreciation for Jimmy Page, you know, cause, it, um, you know, yeah, I guess I just always assumed he was like one of these rock guitar guys, but the fact that he was like a session musician and just like playing on random albums, just like, Oh yeah, that's me on here. And, you know, it's just like, holy shit like he was he was like legit you know and um that was yeah that was a cool part of his past that i didn't know about so so even that was was cool 
I, well, wait, do you want me to get into sort of my, my thought? Or is that a later part, did you say? Sort no, of, I, I, I want to hear what your, your initial, okay. imp- like how you felt about these artists before and now how okay. as part yeah, of so, the- Yeah, so before I, yeah, so, yeah, so love Jimmy Page. Uh, the Edge, you know, I was, I was kind of indifferent about like, yeah, like U2 has some good songs. Like I would never be like, oh, they're, they're, they suck, they're terrible. But like, you know, and I can identify like, yeah, that's a good song. I like that song, but I, I never, nothing ever made me delve deeper into them. And uh, I remember that, what was it? Years ago, there was that one song, was it like Don't Speak or something? Like not Don't Speak, that's no doubt. But uh, there was a song where, where The Edge actually like sang. And he's just like singing the whole thing monotone. And like in the video, it was this whole thing about how he, um, you know, he like never smiles or something like that. And it was all these people just kind of like fucking with him, trying to make him crack a smile. And he's just like singing this whole thing. Like that song, I, I really dug. I was like, how cool is that? That Like, oh, let's actually put kind of him to the front. And so I did really like that song. Um, so that was the only reason I kind of knew a little bit who The Edge was other than just, oh, yeah, the guitarist for U2, whatever, you know, it's just, it's just Bono in the band, you know. <laughs> um, so, so it was kind of cool to, to see a little bit more of him. Um, kind of what happened with him was I kind of saw like this, um, and I, I see this a lot when I watch like composer videos, too, especially like film composers, because a lot of, you know, there's so much um, electronic music involved in film composing today that, you know, so much time is yeah, spent, tweaking little knobs and like, okay, like this is the sound I'm looking for, the sound I can hear in my head. And, you know, and it's like, um, you know, kind of or flip that switch, but then flip that one off and that one on. And those two, is it that one, you know, like planet, you know, and I was just kind of like, okay, like I definitely know there are a lot of people like this is, this is kind of their process. And it was just kind of an interesting realization for me. Cause like, I, you know, I, I I've played guitar, but I was never, like that guy it's like you know when i want distortion i just want like the fattest beefiest like angriest distortion you can get and that's it it's either clean or like the most (laughs) fucked up distortion you can get and those are my two you know or or acoustic you know those are my three guitar sounds like that's all i want is i want oh this is nice guitar to just punch you in the in the guts you know um which i think a lot of that comes from a lot of my um you know, my other guitar influences, which maybe we could talk about later, but like, yeah, so it was kind of neat to see that as a craft, you know, and I, I appreciated that because I feel like there are plenty of guitarists who are probably just like, you know, it's, um, you know, and, and, and they're, they're great too, where like playing the guitars is, it's, it's like a technical, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the technical aspect of playing the guitar, but to kind of say like, okay, but you could take, you know, like there was that one part where he was playing one song and he turned off the effects and he's like, this is all that part is, you know? Um, Got this really cool so, riff. Check it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the idea that it's not just the guitar, it's the guitar and your effects. Like you're, you're not just playing the guitar anymore. You're playing all of those things. Um, and I actually watched the, the, the masterclass for Tom Morello and, you know, got, way more respect for that guy kind of seeing, you know, again, how, how innovative he was, but it's weird. Cause like with him, it's like, okay, I have these few things and this is all I let myself use. Whereas like with the edge where they pulled out that giant fucking pedal board, <laughs> with just like all the switches. It was just like, damn, but it's like, you know, as you figure over however many years he's been playing, like you get bored, you want to keep doing new stuff. And um, so, so I get that. And, you know, maybe if my, if guitar was my main instrument, the only thing I did, maybe I would get like that too. So I, I understood that kind of obsessive almost part of it. Um, and then with Jack White, yeah, like I'm not, 
I've, I've never been a huge fan of his. I, I love Seven Nation Army. I love that song. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people who's be like, well, if I said I hate the White Stripes, I have to hate everything White Stripes. It's just like, you know, no, like that. That's uh, an amazing riff. It's it's catchy. It's the way all the other pieces are put together are are perfectly balanced. Like it's it's cool. Um, and what I will say about him now is again, it's it is more about a an, an appreciation where kind of he he did remind me a little bit of myself a few years back, like before I got into working with, you know, sample libraries and kind of most of my composing being done on my computer. Um, you know, I was buying and finding little percussion instruments here and there. And um, there was a, a band that I liked when I was, or loved when I was in college uh, called Ween. And I think, I don't know if they're still around, but like, you know, I'm sure people, they, they were kind of like underground became a little bit mainstream, not super mainstream, but like, every song sounded completely different because they would just, you know, with every song, they would kind of like recompose a new way to write that song, you know, and, and you, you could never really tell just by hearing a song, Oh, that must be Ween because, you know, nothing sounded like anything else. And I, and I loved that. I loved like reading that. Like, I think someone said that their first album they recorded when they had mono, you know, and it was just like them in a four track in their bedroom, just like, let's just lay this down, you know? And that sort of just like, at home gritty, like work with what you have kind of mentality. Like I had that for a while, you know, and it's like, what little percussion instruments do I have? You know, and it, it reminded me of when I was watching uh, the, uh, the behind the scenes for the Mandalorian, you know, with the composer, like how, you know, Oh, I had just gotten a set of a, a tenor recorder and I had this floor Tom here and it's like, boom, there's the theme for the Mandalorian, you know? And, and it, it kind of harkened back to my days. That's kind of how it was. Like, what random percussion stuff do I have? What random guitar stuff do I have? Other little things here and there that make sounds. And that's kind of how I, I did stuff for a while. And so so kind of watching that kind of, you know, really made me miss that. It made me be like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be cool to just be like, oh, look, let me take a board, put some nails in wire, and, you know, make it a guitar-like instrument. You know, like, I... I I, I get that. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, especially, you know, coming from this place of like not having a lot of money and, you know, recording as stuff on a reel to reel and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you work with what you have, you know, but one of the things I did kind of realize too, and it, it helped me put my finger on it too, is like, I, I've seen this a lot with different types of music where I'll read about it and I'll be like, that sounds so cool. I bet that sounds amazing. And I hear it and it's way different than I pictured it in my head. And it's like, this doesn't sound as cool as I thought it would sound, you know. Um, but what I've tried to take from things like that is like, well, take the original thing that you thought it was, and then maybe you could write something like that with those same parameters, but would sound the way you want those parameters to end up sounding. And that's kind of the, what I've kind of come to with Jack White is like, you know, and I think what it comes down to is like, okay, you have this process and this method and this thing that you're going for. Um, and I just most of the time I just don't like the notes he chooses, you know, mm. um, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, I don't know how much of it is like blues influence because I mean, there are other guitars who are influenced by the blues and, and maybe it's, it's a level of a mix between blues, but like how much rock edge are you adding to it? Whereas it's like, Oh, well, this is super blues. And it's like, okay, that's kind of fine. But like, there are way better blues musicians to listen to if you're going to listen to straight blues, you know, uh, it's the reason why 311 self-title album is my favorite. Like if I want to listen to reggae, there are plenty of people who do just straight up reggae. I want to listen to reggae, hip hop and metal mixed together. That's why I listen to that album, you know? Um, 
so so I think kind of with with Jack White, that was kind of part of it. Is like I, I think a lot of the, the the pieces. I was like, yeah, like everything he was kind of doing and talking about, and like made all this sense. But then you know when it come when it came time to like play the notes, I was just like, ooh, I don't I don't like any of these notes, and. And I think that's that's one of the disconnects I've seen a lot of times when, when, I, when there's a type of music I don't like that a lot of people like. I think sometimes it's because there's the, oh, you know, they talk about like, oh, well, the, the raw power and the this and that. And it's like, I, I get that, but you can, there are other bands that I like that have raw power, but but choose chords and notes that I do like that that, that have a, you know, that je ne sais quoi, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of what I kept coming back to are like the band's, that that I used to really like rock out to when I was younger, you know, that it's like, it's not that I'm just, you know, cause I, there are musicians who just get too heady and it's like, Oh, well this, this song is too simple. Like, it's not that, like I've loved plenty of simple songs in my day. Um, and it's like, you, you know, but the ones I love, they, they have this, this something and it's, I don't know. Um, yeah. And I think that like, like I was watching like when they would have like the clips of him playing live and stuff too. And I was like, this looks like I should love this so much, but I just like everything I'm hearing. It's not, it's not the thing that, you know, like orally kind of gets me as charged as that sort of energy and that visual part of it. So, so yeah, so again, so definitely new appreciation for Jack White in terms of what he's doing and why he's doing it and how he's doing it. Um, but just, yeah, in the end, it's just like, I, you know, um, I don't know what it is. I, sometimes it could be the timbre of his guitar too. Cause sometimes it does have, it's just like, yeah, Oh he, yeah. He definitely has a very it's low like, end kind of spike fuzz type sound. Um, and it's just a taste thing. Like, yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't hit your, if it doesn't right. pump your nads, it doesn't pump your nads. Like that's right. Yeah. And you can and, have and that I, opinion. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've seen that with, with certain genres of music too. Where, yeah. They do have like, there's a, a, a style of, like what the yeah what effects are used on the guitar and how the drums are mic'd and all this stuff where it just uh for lack of a better term it it's, it's just, it sounds very fuzzy it sounds very like yeah. you know it isn't like even with distortion you know you can you know the right kind of distort you can still hear oh that's these chords i hear the chords you're playing whereas like it, it kind of it's almost like there's static over the whole thing yeah so there's like a muddy fuzziness yeah. to it yeah that's that's that totally defines his guitar sound like that's that's (laughs) i think he would describe it that way too yeah so yeah it it reminds me of like i remember when i was in high school too there was like there were a few bands where they would like the the drummer would like purposely tune his drum heads to be loose Mm. like so there was no so it was just like this weird like thump so -hmm. there was like no resonant and you could see like ripples in the head they were that loose and it was just like well these don't sound like drums anymore and you know and it's like it and i don't know i mean i guess you could call it conditioning maybe like playing drums for so long and knowing what drums are supposed to sound like i mean there's a wide array of what drums are supposed to sound like um and and maybe you know and and don't get me wrong too like plenty of the music i listen to like my favorite composers will fuck with the sounds instruments are supposed to make and make them make different sounds but they they all find a way of making them sound good you know and it, um yeah so i think that's a big part of it too is just like if i if i don't like the 
the, the sound that comes out, whether it be, like I said, yeah, the, the, the effects on the guitar, the timbre of the guitar, the, the notes, it's just kind of like, eh, it's not, not doing it for me. But mm-hmm. as, as far as him as a musician, I definitely have a, a better appreciation for him. Nice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And for Jimmy Page, like every time he would play, it was, <laughs> it was like going home. I would just, I would just like, he'd start playing and I'd be like, I, I just instantly, I was like 12, 13, 14 years old mm-hmm. again. It was, it was fucking great. It was like when, when it finished, I was like, I want to go buy every Zeppelin album now, you yep. know, like, which I, I didn't, but I put them in my, my iTunes queue and I was like, I'll listen to them on Spotify or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but it was just like, like, cause I, I think I owned like, I owned Zeppelin one, two and four on tape. And I think my dad uh-huh. had three and houses of the Holy on vinyl. So I could listen to those two, but it was like a bigger ordeal. Yeah. But like I fucking wore out Zeppelin two and Zeppelin four. Like I would just put them on and just fucking play drums and just like if if it hadn't been for Rush, like Zeppelin would have been my favorite band of all time. But then like Rush stepped in and was like, Oh, okay, Zeppelin Zeppelin, you're like you're like the one that got away and you're Rush is hook. like my soulmate, you know, like <laughs> Even I think even Edge and White agree with you because I what's one one of my notes, right? One of the first bits we see where any of them is playing for the others is the edge playing something right and they're playing with him and they're all talking mm-hmm. through it yeah and the next section is pages section and we get to him and he's playing whole lot of love and both white and the edge just stop and they just like <laughs> put their guitars down like yeah white even like puts his back on the floor because they're just they're just staring it's, it's brilliant um zeke what about you yeah um so I think, I mean, well, first off, yeah, I, I'll make it unanimous. I also loved it. Um, I'm a little bit different from Tim in the sense that, and I think we all know this, I think I've mentioned it other times, but I don't understand the fundamentals of music. Um, I don't know what notes are or chords are or anything like that. Um, but I think one thing about this movie is that uh, that aside, I, I I don't know. There's just something about watching the experts and the best in their craft talk about it. Um, even if I don't understand those fundamentals or exactly what they're talking about, they kind of broke it down in a way um, that, that helped me understand, or that was just cool to hear about. Um, I think there were a few different examples um, where each one of them would talk through a different piece of it. Uh, Tim, you mentioned the one where the edge plays that little riff and he's like, yeah, that's what the facts here is without. I was like, okay, cool. I understand that. Um, so that was that was really helpful to see. I also wrote down in my notes that I would would have liked Jimmy Page to be my music teacher. <laughs> I think that would have been pretty amazing. Any of them, really, right? Just to sit down and learn from them. Um, so for me, I think um, I don't know genre wise or like experience wise, it was similar to watching um, Peyton's Places, Peyton's, Peyton Manning's uh, ESPN show, where he'll sit down with. Um, you know, John Elway or Emmett Smith or Lynn Swan or, or just these other great football players and just talk football and just that experience of, okay, these are the best at what they do. Let me hear them, you know, break it down, share background sh- stories, talk about how they got interested in it. Um, there's just something so fascinating about that to me um, with each of these guys. And I think that helps also with what I knew about each of the musicians Um so not to steal, I'm sure Joel will want to talk about this too, but I think top of the list is Jack White. Um, Joel and I have seen him together in concert twice, once as Jack White as the solo act at Red Rocks, which was, you know, he was playing in the rain and the lightning, and it was a magical performance 
for that um, than we saw them at uh, with the Rack and Tours at the Mission Ballroom, a little intimate uh, venue in Denver. Um, and there was one shot in 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 the movie where it brought me back to that experience because it's a shot from behind Jack into the crowd. And so Joel and I got there early, and we were you know just a few rows from the stage, and we were that close to him, and it was like. If they had shot <laughs> this movie at the concert, we'd be able to see ourselves. We were that close. Um, so Jack White's my favorite, right? Uh, as a solo act, White Stripes, Raconteurs, Dead Weather, um, have heard the most of it, have heard the albums most of way, or, you know, heard albums throughout um, more than the other guys. So uh, next up would be Zeppelin and Jimmy Page. I was just jamming to some Zeppelin last week, um, a little more familiar with them. Um, and then finally would be the edge. Um, not that, you know, I don't dislike you two. Um, my wife and her mom are big fans. They've seen you two a couple of times in concert. Um, I know some of the hits, but like, just not as in depth. Um, but I think I walked away from this just feeling like they couldn't have picked a better three guys or a cooler three guys to come together and talk about music. It just felt like there was no ego in the room. They just appreciated each other so much. They just seem so down to earth and we're able to walk you through everything, even though they're, you know, again, the best at what they do. It, it didn't feel like that. It felt very relatable, um, very enjoyable. I think the, even the, the opening credits really downplay it where it's like on January, whatever, three musicians come, some, three musicians come together to discuss the electric guitar. I'm like that's one way to put that, like Jimmy Page, The Edge and Jack White in a room talking about their careers, talking about music, but yeah, just three musicians are just hanging out is the theme of this movie. Um, but no, absolutely loved it. And just, like I said, just loved that group of three guys working through everything and talking through everything and then ending it in a big, uh, you know, jam session riff off. That was, that was a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm going to jump in and talk about my favorite scene real quick, or Scott, did you have, well, I was going to say you, you sort of, let speak for itself that you brought this to us because you love it but i there's a lot of things you like that you brought to the podcast right <laughs> what what is it about this that that inspired you to bring it is there something about this month maybe or was it just finally time i mean i hadn't watched it it, it had been three months i hadn't watched it <laughs> i it I, also I, happened to be your pick so everything just came yeah together. <laughs> and it, it's one that's been like no, save it. Like Mulaney and that, like, no, save it. I don't know. It, it, it's, I don't know. Like, it, it's also, it's energizing. And this month has been kind of hard. Like, I, I've been more depressed and just kind of like coming to the end of COVID. Well, not end of, but like, like it's been cold. The weather's been shitty. I've just been down. It hasn't been great. I put this on and I just feel like, I feel like I'm plugged into the amp. It, it's it's just such a it resonates pun intended man like it, it just it the way they talk about it and storytelling and the energy and and just the all the aspects of of how they talk about this instrument something that i i mean i i've always loved rock and roll the second that i had an electric guitar around my neck and plugged into an amp with some distortion it ex it, it my whole body vibrated and it was just like i am gonna love this for the rest of my life i'm gonna be chasing what this makes me feel for the rest of my life i own the guitar i did it with 
It's the first guitar, electric guitar I ever played. I own it. I it, it, it's it's and this recaptures that. I, I, I every time I watch it, I like I said, I had to space out when I was going to watch it because I knew my fingers were going to be covered in blisters, my wrists were going to hurt, my guitars were going to go out of tune. I was going to drag all of my gear out and just make the living room a mess. Like it, it, it just, it sparks a fire in me like nothing else does. And it's, it's just electric literally. (laughs) So that, that's, that's where it's coming from for me is like these, and it's, it's, it's the kind of thing I've always wanted to see about rock stars is this conversation it's not behind the music and here's the managers and the girlfriends and the, the shysters and the, the promoters. And here's the, the up and down of, of drug addiction. And this album didn't do so hot. It's nothing about critics. It's not, it's all about the artists relating to each other and being storytellers and reacting and interacting with a physical thing. Like, I mean, I have, I have a collection of guitars. I have a collection of pedals that I, I, I blame the edge for all of the pedals I have. Cause it's like that, that's what, and also like people have sold me shitty, crappy, broken guitars because I resonate with Jack white. It's like, I want something broken. I want to fight it. I want, I want to bring something out of it. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a huge inspiration for me. And, and it has inspired a lot of credit card debt, <laughs> you know, like, it, it's for all those reasons. So uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm gonna jump in on on favorite scenes real quick because we already talked about it. It's the moment that Jimmy Page pulls out his Les Paul and starts to play the intro to a whole lot of love, and the whole so much about how Jack White is in this movie is is very carefully crafted. He is presenting a side of himself. And that's a lot of what he does. He does a lot of performance art. Like White Stripes is all about the performance of these like childlike kids who are brother and sister, but they're really married in real life. But it's all about this performance. It's a distraction. And he has been too cool for school the whole time, right? He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe a fist fight. I plan to trick these guys. Like he, it's all this attitude and he's, he's presenting this, this side. The second that Jimmy is playing that kid's like <laughs> his face lights up oh, like a yeah. five-year-old. He can't do it. You could see it in his face. He's trying to be cool and he can't, he's just bleeding. Like he's trying to, he puts, he knows where the camera is. He puts the, the guitar start like the head in front of his face to try and hide his smile. And it, it, it's just, I, I watched, like I said, I had watched the um, director's commentary with two of the executive producers and they were talking about, the first time that somebody like when they did the summit, that's what they called when they all got together. Finally, that was like three or four days. And the first thing that anybody played was that moment. That was Jimmy playing. That was the first thing that got played and the look on edge's face and the look on Jack's face. That was the whole crew. Like everybody was just like, Oh my God, he's playing it. He's playing it right there. And it sounds like it sounded when I first heard it. Like it, it's, it's just such a cool moment. And it, 
it it totally shatters the illusion of Jack being like this too cool for school guy. Like it, it just, I love that moment. I, I go back and just watch that clip sometimes. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> as, as cool as we all try to be right. There's that little kid inside. And it's, it's crazy to see like these very, like ed, the edge is a persona, right? Like he has a nickname called the edge and he's the sonic architect it all falls away. And I mean, like the coolest guy in th- those rooms is Jimmy Page. He's a fucking wood nymph. I don't know what he is. He's like a sage. He, he just floats through it all. And he, he's amazing. Just, just, yeah, that, that's, that's my favorite moment. Scott, what, what's yours? I mean, all of, all of the parts we get to see where it's the summit and they're playing. I just, all, all of those, every moment of music that came out of that summit was absolutely glorious um you know i already mentioned the whole lot of love moment was a great little like smirk you know incident but i think the moment it all literally came together with uh in my time of dying at the end (laughs) i just we finally we got all three of them and it it was the peak the climax the culmination whatever you want to say that was the absolute just pinnacle of everything and then although to be fair the come down with the weight afterwards right like especially because they all just kind of oh, yeah well we'll figure it out sure let's play this together <laughs> and they did right i i loved it I, yeah so those, those two moments together i think a close second low is the very opening bit where jack white builds the guitar out of scrap <laughs> out of literal garbage in an abandoned home lot and he builds a guitar and he plays it and he says who said you need to buy a guitar <laughs> perfect <laughs> perfect opening for the film there was there was some debate on the director's commentary the uh producers were saying that uh the director fought to have that not be the opening and then when he saw it it was his favorite part and it was it had to be it if, if it had been anywhere else it would not have worked it's just yeah that's a great opening sequence <laughs> Tim, what about you? Um, I have one one little favorite part was I like when they when they were learning the song at the end and they're like, wait, the second chord's B. Oh, I've, I've been playing E this whole time, and, and I think all three of them are like, oh shit, yeah. Oh, I've been. <laughs> so like that that was great. Like the fact that like okay, these these guys were masters. Like they still fuck up every now and then, you know. And the fact that it was kind of like all of them. It wasn't like you know like okay oh you you were obviously the weaker one because you made a mistake they were all just kind of like oh yeah that's supposed to be that okay yeah let's fix it you know <laughs> that was fun um but i think one of the other parts that really hit me too and it's it's ironic but it was when uh jimmy page was playing uh, i think it was it was a battle of evermore on the mandolin mm-hmm. and it was like it was this this whole other level of magic like this other world like there's the magic that whenever jimmy page would play the guitar but then when he played the mandolin it was just like where the fuck it was like fucking narnia and i was <laughs> yeah. just like yep like especially like he's sitting out on the grange yeah right on the the grounds and yeah. that that's a mandolin that john paul jones gave him it was his gift oh nice like, and that wasn't planned like so much sorry i i keep intercutting because I, I did all no, this to, like watch the no, you're full of fun facts please but yeah. what they they were saying is like none of this stuff was scripted they didn't say we're going to get together and you're going to play this song you're going to play this they just set the stage for all this stuff and all the interviews that they did 
They did that months before they shot anything. And it was just audio. Guggenheim went to these places and hung out with these guys and talked for like three hours at a time and just got audio. And then he decided, that's how I'm going to shoot. Now I know what to shoot. This is how it comes out of that. Because he was saying with Inconvenient Truth was he did just before this. He found that with Al Gore, at the end of the production, he was just doing audio interviews. He'd be up in the hotel with hotel room with them talking for three hours. And that was like the most intimate stuff because he was saying with the, the lighting and the camera crews and everybody on a set, that interview style becomes a different thing. It's more rigid. It's more performative. So he he wanted to switch gears and start with that and then figure out from there where a narrative might be or how to weave these stories together. So the fact that, like, when they got to the Grange, J- Jimmy just had his mandolin. And he was like, I, I want to play Evermore out in front of this because this is where I wrote it. Like, and it was just like, that moment wasn't planned. <laughs> and it's amazing. And it's ethereal and mystic and all those things. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> also, just just watching him just kind of jam out to you know, music he's listening to the music he likes, you know, and just like, you know, in his like space, you know, it's just like, you know, he's just like everybody else in that sense, you know, like, Oh, these are the songs that get me excited. You know, Jimmy fucking page air guitars, like everybody else. Like he's, he's, he's air guitaring and he knows what the chord form is. (laughs) He's like, he's yeah. Yeah. That That was the thing that struck me the most about the backgrounds was, he seemed the most normal kid out of all three of them. Right. Yep. Biological research. (laughs) (laughs) Zeke, what was your favorite moment? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of my favorite scenes have been taken already. Uh, I think just Jack White building a guitar in front of cows was hilarious. (laughs) Um, I think we talked about the edge playing the riff and like showing the difference between that and then the riff with effects um but I, I really liked a lot of the background stuff like you know jack talking through coming up with the aesthetic for the white stripes right and like we saw a bag of peppermints and said let's slap that on the front of the drum kit and like you know build from there the colors and and you know what we're putting on stage i thought that was really cool um you know to hear everybody talk about their first guitar or what records they listen to, you know, and to see Jimmy page with the wall of cassettes and records and albums and CDs, everything behind him like that. That's gotta be a, just an amazing collection. Um, you know, to hear them talk about, yeah, when I was growing up and I was watching, you know, the top music shows, like they're hearing them talk about what was presented to them as, as music, right. And them feeling like, well, that's not cool. I want to out cool what's on TV and I want to outperform that. Um, it's just so cool to think about these legends, you know, back when they were a kid and just coming up and, and, and what they wanted to be and how they thought to craft that, um, you know, either by what they saw or what they wanted to, to present that they didn't see. Um, I think this just gave us a lot of cool glimpses like that. So yeah, lots of favorite scenes to pick from. Something that's really with the edge moment where he's got all the effects and he's doing his riff in quotation marks. This is was one of the first realizations that I had. This in like a, an interview that they did with Angus Young was like, all guitarists are faking it, right? <laughs> like Jack talking about like, try like distraction. I'm trying to do Sunhouse. I am trying to do this off key, pained, 
clap like this simplicity trying to get back to this blues point as, as a white kid growing up in detroit does he even have any uh can he can he own any of that can is it his place like and trying to find a way to get away with it and an edge with like this is the riff this is all the stuff i've put on top of it to make it look cool and i was like so this was a realist and, and uh, uh angus young it was talking about like we got little fucking hands we can't do chords like everybody else. Him and Malcolm, like, we play power chords because that's all we can reach, man. Like, everybody is faking it except Jimmy Page. <laughs> Jimmy, it, it's, it's flowing out of him. That man is, he, he was talking, like, you saw all the charts, and he was talking about being a studio musician. He's like, the notation had to be on. And the reason he was able to break the mold and speed up and slow down and undulate and, and, and all the things he does, in, I mean, Somebody talked about like stairway is a cliche, right? Like it's, it's a punchline because it's, I mean, that's why they, they, they do the three first three notes of it in Wayne's world. And they cut to a sign that says no stairway, but no stairway. Like, so, but you forget how innovative that song is, how long it is, how it's the most popular, most requested, most played song in the history of radio. And it, it's it's because Jimmy and that band, like I'm mean, uh, not to give any more credit to him than Led Zeppelin, because Led Zeppelin was an incredible group. But like, because he was that quality of musician, he could break those rules, and it worked. You know, like everybody's faking it except Jimmy fucking Page. Like it, it, it's honestly how I feel. Like you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. Yeah, yeah. Every time I come away from this this duck, I'm like. I, I need to listen to Zeppelin more. Like, it, it, cause it kind of fade. Like I go through, through stages with Zeppelin. I come back to it. And I mean, this is good. This is uh, music mumble at a, at a certain point. Like we're, we're definitely going to talk about music, but like it, and I, I guess that's something with the edge. You two never struck me as a guitar band, you know, like it's Bono. And I think Bono rubs a lot of people the wrong way. He's a good lyricist, but he's pissed a lot of people off for a long time. And I mean, the whole thing where they 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 had to deal with Apple and they threw it all like everybody oh, yeah. got the album for free. Not a good look. Just right. a bad marketing decision, just a weird entitlement thing. But like, I I identify a lot with Edge in this how they describe him. Like, am I just a guitarist? Am I a writer? Do I have the role in this band I thought I did. And like, who, who doesn't feel like that? Like, am I just this one thing? And, and the, I mean, he, he came up with that beautiful metaphor for the, uh, a planned forest, right? Like it, it all looks random and you can't literally not seeing the forest for the trees. And then it, the angle and the, the way they found, apparently they, they found that grove and they were getting like email updates every month because there were no leaves on it when they were going to shoot it. So they had to like get an update. It's like, oh, it looks leafy ah, now. We can go and yeah, shoot no it. Wait. Oh, man. And it, it's just a gorgeous combination. It, like, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, in many ways, that is the crescendo of the film too. Because it, it brings, that's the thing. Like I, the narrative structure of the film is not something I really noticed because I'm see like forest for the trees in, in a certain sense. Like I'm there for like, just absorb everything there's there's i'm not uh, uh, establishing a form on it i'm just like 
watching it and, and like experiencing it. But it really starts in three different places. And I don't even think I realize that they're all guitarists from different musical generations. Like it, it's, it's, it's so interesting to have them start in these three very different places. And then when they're talking about like Jimmy having to do Muzak as a studio musician and that being a turning point and leading to, and they, they, the director was talking about these kind of narratives leading to a certain song that defined this next step. So like all of his influences and frustrations with studio musicianship culminated in uh, uh, stairway to heaven. And then the, 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 uh, tumultuous times in Ireland and, and not feeling like a writer and having to be uh, isolated and try and try and figure out his identity led to Sunday, bloody Sunday for the edge. And almost with, with, I feel like for Jack, it, it could be one or two things. Like he, he records on a two track, a song that he writes on loose leaf live. He wrote that yeah. in real time. And the amount of money I would pay for that piece of loose leaf paper i i it, it's it's unfathomable how much money i would pay for that thing like but it's either a culmination to that point where it's just like how can i do it faster how can i put these things in my way to work towards it like this is a time constraint there's all these people or is it in hit in the case of his narrative is it instead of journeying to a song it's journeying from a song so from uh, don't mind people grinning in your face that sunhouse song his trajectory from that because that's a really pivotal moment for him is how do i do this is it already over like has that moment been missed and it resonates so deeply how do i can i can i participate in it am, am i he says am i not allowed to get there which just breaks my heart like that that's how who hasn't felt like that am i not allowed to get there that that's that's just really interesting i don't know did you guys pick up he, on those kinds he of, mentioned like, a couple other struggles i want to point out about at the very beginning that there was too much technology in music yeah which was really funny to hear that it's a great the the yeah, talk. yeah. <laughs> um but to be fair well, even you know, the electric guitar is technology right you know, like... but, to, but what to be fair is the larger point became not that the technology was bad but that they took it too far right too too much of it and you know, to be, to think of some of the things that were around in the eighties, I, I can agree with him, honestly. Right. <laughs> so that, that feels like an act of rebellion. And then too, he specifically called it an act of rebellion, playing an instrument instead right. of doing, you know, hip hop. Right? right. And I, I think rather than having one single struggle that comes together into an epic song, his story is many different struggles all pieced together to make a whole greater in the sum of the parts mm -hmm. but uh you mentioned um going to the places you know came out afterwards after the audio interviews yeah. right worst scene the <laughs> there's a worst scene <laughs> was uh so my I, I there are a number of you know zeppelin songs i like but my favorite by far is actually when levy breaks i period done i mean Nothing else comes close. Outstanding. And otherworldly. I think partly because it's basically blues, which which I just really appreciate in a fundamental level. 
So they went to the house, right, where they recorded that. And he was like, yeah, it was right here. And those were the drums. The microphones were hanging. And, like, it started to play for about three seconds. And then it was faded down to nothing behind <laughs> I was, oh, my God. Blue ball is not a strong enough term. I went blind. <laughs> I had to fumble onto my mouse and pause the video <laughs> so I could go take some deep breaths. That's oh. outstanding. Yeah. I mean, the amount of musical cues in this, like, there's 78 songs. Like, it, it's an insane discography. In the and credits, like what, right, it's, you know, director featuring these three people as themselves and in the crew. And for a documentary, it's always short, right? It's yeah. the handful of people you brought with you to each location, people from the summit. That's it. There's there's very few credits. And then just songs <laughs> two columns worth of them <laughs> across the screen for like twice the length of the actual credits right yeah so much music so i i, I wanted to talk about this it, it might be a realization i'm wanting zeke to also weigh in on this and did you know who the little kid jack interacts with is or supposed to be I thought it was supposed to be him as a child. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, when it said like yeah. Z- like Jack White, like current age day nine. and age nine. Yeah, right. Yeah, I never really processed that until after watching it this time. That, it, I mean, it's it's also another performance piece Jack is doing where he, he they asked him about it at one of the the uh, um, press conferences. Jack Jack always like makes friction at those things. And he's like, it's me as a kid. Like it, it, it's an, it's a, it's a documentary. It's, it's accurate. Just, he's like, suspend your disbelief with me. Let me, let me have this, that he doesn't say that, but eventually like they make it awkward. He's like, well, fucking I'll respond to it. Where it's like a lot of people talk about documentaries as being autobiographical and, and saying, seeing a progression. I wanted to mess with the formula. It's like, okay, let's use this as a, a, a a way of advising my younger self and like what I would do now as kind of like a retrospective look, which I thought was really cool. I, but I, I thought it was his kid, but he, he has never had kids. Like I, I should know that, that he doesn't have kids. Um, I thought it was ironic too the fact of him teaching himself as a kid to stomp on the guitar. And it's like, well, no, that kid's not going to grow up to do that because you probably do that because you discovered it, like you said, as a as a, um, a you know a protest, you know, of going against the grain. But now that this kid has been taught, oh yeah, you stomp on a guitar. It's like, well, that's not cool anymore. Some old guy told me to do it. I'm not going to do what some <laughs> old guy told me. I'm going to do my own thing. Is the kid just a child actor or like a family? Yeah. Okay, just a child actor. Okay, yeah, you just got the part. Okay. You look good I, in a I weird knew, suit. <laughs> I knew he was going to put him in the trunk, too. Right? And the trunk the inside the, the trunk. Car, I was like, he's putting the kid in there. He's putting the kid in there. Yeah, there was a kid. Kid's in there. <laughs> I knew, what I knew was it. great is, uh, as the credits were rolling, one of the EPs was like, I really wanted to put a, uh, a proviso that says, no metaphors were harmed in the making of this film <laughs> as oh. they put the kid in the trunk, because he's a, he's a metaphor for Jack as a young kid. Oh. Um, there are so many things to talk about. I don't, I don't even know where, where to go. Um, to touch on the, the homemade guitar again, briefly, my yeah. notes from that were, which I paused. I mean, we're already moments into the film, right? He's making a guitar, something about this, not just the scene, obviously 
not just the location, but the whole thing feels very blues, very American. And I had to sort of put it in phrase of music. So I said, this feels very slide guitar to me. <laughs> not, not because that's what I thought he was making, but just because that was the whole, what the environment put me in mind of. And then it was a slide guitar. And I was like, yep. aha. <laughs> so that, that type of instrument has a name. It's called a diddly bow. Oh. That's how Bo Diddley got his name is because they were saying that um when in in the the first days of blues um when slaves would try and make instruments they would take barbed wire and stretch them over and play them with a bottle and so that and it diddly bow means like next to nothing like diddly diddly squat so bow like bow diddly being close to nothing in terms of having nothing and, and having to 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 struggle and like so it that that has a really cool i didn't know that until this time either that and it's just so such a fucking like what an anti-electric guitar statement to make in the opening <laughs> credits of your guitar electric oh, guitar electric documentary guitar. yeah and then to to bring it back a little bit you know i mentioned that he jack sort of disdained technology and then the edges whole mm-hmm. thing was about technology but the thing is it really it, it meshes more than you think because Jack White finishes that whole stretch about the technology and the blah, blah, blah with one phrase specifically, ease of use is the disease you have to fight in a creative field. Mm-hmm. And when the edge explains what he's doing, none of it is easy no, or simple. And it, it was such a great like connection of, ah, like that's why this works, right? You know, why maybe why he didn't fall prey to the same problems that some of those really gaudy spinal tap type bands did right Um, and that's in in essence that's spinal tap really epitomizes what both edge and jack are are responding to right like mm -hmm. edge is wanting to do something more with more uh uh, poignance essence with with more melodic quality something that's less uh indulgent and Jack is wanting to whittle it down to nothing in the same way. Like they're both responding to excess, which I think is really interesting. And I, I think it's great to juxtapose those two. And also their discussion of technology are one after the other. So it's just these huge, and it, that informs the narrative structure of these guitarists at three points of a star. And then they come together towards the end. And that that that's really impressive. I also love that when Jimmy talks about effects he's the guy that inspired the distortion pedal he went to (laughs) a naval engineer and then i mean he was talking to him and the engineer said do you have any ideas he's like i would like it to be crunchier and he came back with the first distortion pedal like it's the origin of like what hard rock sounds like is because of jimmy like and and that effect is is this huge root point of everything that Edge uses and everything that Jack is responding to. I mean, like, and he's, he's like, he talks about the double neck guitar that did not exist before Stairway to Heaven because he couldn't it play was, it live. And yeah, it wasn't for yeah. for cool looks, right? No. It was out of necessity. And it's the coolest fucking guitar. Like, it is such a cool thing. I, 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 yeah, like just. And I feel like Jimmy, Jimmy being like the most famous, right, of, of all of them. Like Zeppelin were bigger than the Beatles, 
Oasis thought it was going to be them. Fuck Oasis. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Zeppelin was the the heirs to the throne. They never acted that way, but they were. And so to to see Jimmy's a very private person, apparently. Like, he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't do things like this. So to to be able to to talk to him and see him so kind of ethereally and eat, like, he seems very innocent in comparison to these other guys, right? Like he, he seems like he had a very kind of traditional, I don't know, upbringing. I like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a very different, he still seems like, like he a liked kid. music. He just did it. And then at a certain point, there was this confluence of this con this con- convergence is the word I wanted of mm-hmm. things that, the thing he wanted to do and the people he could do it with and no one to say no. Right, just to well, we'll try it, and then he did like his distortion pedal. Like, well, this is what I want, and he got someone who went, oh, "Okay, here you go," and he did. It worked. It didn't feel like like he talked a little bit about you know responding to the top of the pops and the stuff that wasn't yeah. cool, but it wasn't anything specific. Right. It was just this is what I like and what I want and what's cool, and I'm going to go do it. And then he did, and. Yeah. You know, and in terms of like access mm-hmm. to different kinds of music, right? He was the one that was the most limited at the time mm-hmm. he was coming out. He he was talking about getting records, anything that had a guitar on it, Spanish dance, all of these different genres and the stuff he played on. Like there, there's some pretty antiseptic, weird stuff that he, he was a studio musician on and, and just like absorbing all of that. And then, and then producing this thing that nobody, I mean, obviously like the reason they they're called Led Zeppelin is because some, executives like this is going to go off as well as a led zeppelin like it's it it won't work and the fact that zozo zeppelin 4 got a one paragraph write-up it's the greatest fucking i know that was one of the great, greatest records of all time if that not was the. so great and, it, and it, he it, speaks so modestly about it too yeah he's well, like there's some, some there's some there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just a wizard man like i every time he talked everything he did it's, it's like Everybody else is trying to be cool. No one is as effortlessly cool as Jimmy fucking Page. I, mm-hmm. yeah. Zeke, while we have you, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> you say things now while we, we, we're not experiencing tef- technical difficulties. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess just to build on that, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's much to say other than I agree that that Jimmy's magnetism definitely just I feel like anchored the whole thing. Right. In a, in a way um, where just was hanging on every word he said was, was waiting for every story. Same as, as Jack did when Jack put the guitar and is listening to him, you know, just, I don't know. Yeah. Just was truly, I feel like, and maybe I, I don't think I'd realized that, but he didn't, he's a, he's a private person and doesn't do interviews. And maybe that's part of the, you know, I think I knew Zeppelin as a whole and not really, I obviously his name, but was trying to think back to like other times I've seen him or hearing him speak in other ways. And like, I don't know that I had. So this was kind of a, a first introduction. Um, and so I don't know, he's just so captivating. And and to to have that experience with him, I think is, is um, I don't know, I, I guess just the lack of, of having that, uh, not one-on-one, but lack of having that presence of him before and then seeing this movie, just truly understanding the kind of star that he is, the person that he is, 
um, you know, really carried carried the movie a long way, I think. I, I was curious to see what you guys thought of the movie structurally. Like, did, because I, again, I, I, when I watched it, it was very much just like, I'm watching it very surface level. I'm not looking for a narrative structure. I'm not really following these things that kind of culminate. Zeke, could you speak to how, what did you think? I mean, you, you are probably the person among the group that's watched the most documentaries and is, is the most fond of that style, I would say. So how did, what did you think of the narrative structure of this? Yeah, it was interesting. I think um, there were definitely a few times where I caught myself wishing, I guess, there was more structure. Um, but then I kind of just let myself get into it. And there are, like I've mentioned, those common threads throughout, right? So it doesn't necessarily say, all right, this next 20 minutes of the movie is going to be how each one got their start. Then this next 20 is going to talk about, you know, them and their bands. It's kind of interwoven together in different ways, but you do get little snippets where they will each talk about the same thing um, just at different moments, right? Um, And I think, you know, there are the little chapters where it'll kind of like the screen will go black and there'll be a line from a quote that somebody's going to say and kind of cue up where it's headed, but not really in a way to say this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Um, Which I think oftentimes is what I want in documentaries, right? Where it's like, here's, you know, we're talking about the electric guitar. So here's some bit about how it was created and how it was used. And then here's where these guys came in. It didn't really do that, but I think it's probably better for that. I think it's probably better that it was more of a conversation, right? And and I think that's how the structure of the film ended up presenting itself is that it's very free flowing, you know, different things are going to come up when they do. Um, but the the three musicians are kind of the drivers of the movie itself. And I think the fact that, it starts off with them each separately and then just culminates um, with them together for the summit. You know, it does pull back a few times, but I think generally it's more individual and then group towards the end. I think that also really works well too. Tim, what about you? Yeah, I feel like overall I, I, I couldn't really follow any sort of narrative, which, you know, a lot of the time I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I just want to hear what these guys have to say and what they're doing but I feel like there were a few times where I was kind of like confused as far as like, wait, wait, who's talking now? Or like, what was it? They did something where they were talking about their first guitars. I think like the edge started talking and mentioned his guitar, I think. And then it's like, and then they had a little, like a little like subtitle for like, Oh, Jack's first guitar. I was like, well, wait, why did they do that for the edge? You know? And it was kind of like, are they going to come back to it? Was that not actually, you know? And I, I just remember like, like there were a few times like that where things were maybe a little, a little inconsistent, you know, could have kind of like been a little bit more, uh, I guess, balanced. Um, not, not that I needed it to be like a, a forward moving progression, but like, yeah, if we're going to talk about all three of their first guitars, like I didn't realize that's the conversation the edge was having until partway through. And I was kind of, you know, so it's just like, if you're going to, you know, announce some of them, like announce, you know, all of them be like, so we know, oh, okay, this is, this is what this part's about. Okay, cool. Um, but that, that, yeah, that, that only came up that, that was the time I remember it really stuck out to me. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I wasn't too concerned about like a narrative in terms of where it's going. It was more just like, you know, I liked, 
I did like, I think the contrast of like, okay, we're going to show them alone in their home space and then we're going to jump to them together. And you know, how there was a, a, a mix of that. Like, I think that did work well rather than if they had just been like, okay, we're only going to talk about them in their own space. And now we're going to throw them all together and we're just going to sit on the couch with them for an hour straight. You know, I like the the back and forth. I thought that worked really well. Real quick on, on the, uh, first guitar start like that could have been the whole show for me is them talking <laughs> about like the acquisition of guitars so the uh, edges explorer that he, he shows so when they show the picture of where he got it from mm -hmm. the the explorer that's in the window is the one he bought oh nice. i was wondering about that ah. yeah so they apparently they found the guy who owned that music shop it had since uh, uh, closed, but he would, he kept a very meticulous inventory and would take a picture every day or every week. And when edge saw that photo, he was like, Oh my God, how did That's you find it? That's my <laughs> guitar. And so the way they, uh, in, in a book they had done about the edge, he had a receipt. He had the receipt for the Explorer. That's how they were able to find oh, the nice. week that it, it came. So that, that was a really cool thing. And so this is is part of the reason I'm obsessed with hollow bodies, at, at guitar types. But I am in love with Jack's K guitar. Like I I love it so much. It, it's it's so beat to hell. And Zeke can attest when we saw him at Red Rocks, he played that guitar in the fucking rain. He he was sliding around. He took his shoes off and played barefoot at Red Rocks because the rain would not stop and Jack would not stop. And it, it, it was just so cool. So I have a little bit of an origin story like that where I was in a Goodwill. And Zeke, I, I think I texted Zeke the second I got it home. But I was in a, a good, the Goodwill in Aurora. And the, I, I have uncannily good Goodwill luck. I will find weird stuff and weird, cool stuff. And I, would, I found a lot of like gig bags and guitar cases. And that's how a lot of my, like the reason my guitars have cases is because I found them at Goodwill. And the dream was to find a guitar. And I, it was, it, it, I was looking at this shelf and it was like tchotchkes and weird stuff and like chess boards and like, it wasn't organized. And there was a case and in the case was a guitar and in it's a K guitar. That's what this one is. It's a parlor guitar. It's steel reinforced neck. You can, it's classically, you can string it with classical strings or wire ones, but it's a K guitar. It's a vintage K from 1968. And it was like, I, I, I had seen this movie and then I got this and it was like, I have gold in my hands. Like, do people know? Like I had it in my cart. And it was like, I have to get the fuck out of here. Cause they won't know. Like I, so I don't know, like his origin story about the K guitar, talking about like the, there being silver tones or K's and him getting it as a gift for moving his, his brother's refrigerator. Like, I don't know. I have a little piece of that because I, I have a K guitar and I've always wanted the guitar he has. It's impossible to find one. They've skyrocketed in price. I actually, I've been on my bullshit since I watched this. I've been looking at guitars and I've been looking at pedals. It's bad. It's bad for my collector's brain. But there's a, a vintage K electric at the Denver Guitar Center right now. There's one sitting there right now, and it is taking everything in my body not to go and buy it because of this movie, because of Jack White. 
Uh, well, listeners, if you don't hear Joel for the rest of the podcast, you know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, narrative structure-wise, were you hooked into that at all? Sorry yeah. for the detraction. No, I, I no, no it was great. Guitar, I, sorry. <laughs> Z kind of said it, you know, he put it together. But it, I'll just add that it felt emergent to me. You know, with documentary, well, with everything, but especially with documentary, you always have to think about the person who made it because the documentary is constructed. What did they show? What did they not show? You know, why did they show certain things and not show other things? What was the message they were trying to get across? What was the thing they were trying to make you feel? It didn't feel that way with this at all. It felt like he just put them in a room and then this happened. And then that was it. And he published it. You know, it didn't, it was the most just naturally emergent documentary I think I've ever watched. Yeah, that's about it. Hmm. I was going to say with Jimmy, one of my favorite sequences is when Jimmy is playing Ramble On, which is this hugely like lyrical exploration of dynamics and tone. And he talked about, I mean, in, in the quotes over top, it's just gorgeous. Like there's so much poetry in just the way these guys talk. Like none of it is scripted. Like at one point, I can't, what did he say? I kept pausing it to take. Oh, I also, there was a great moment where uh, they're playing uh, one of Jack's uh, uh, riffs and he comments, uh, or Edge says, I uh, think Dead Leaves some... in the Dirty Ground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he, he's like, I think there's some punk left in, in Jimmy. Like, I like that little, little reference to like, um, but what was he saying? Well, Edge says something like, there were songs in this guitar. Like, God, what a line. Like, how perfect of a way to talk about it. Like, I, I identify with that so much. Um, Whisper to the Thunder is what he... I mean, it was the end of this really eloquent exploration of light and shadow and color and texture and how to play. And I guess when he was... They did the audio interview, and Davis, the director, was try, kept trying to get him to explain what he meant by that. Like, what did he mean about tone and texture and light and shadow. And when he finally asked him when he, he was by, he, Jimmy just plugged in his guitar. He's like, I, I can't, I can't explain it to you. Let mm -hmm. me show you what I mean. And he played ramble on. And it, it's just, that is such a sick song. It, it just like, yeah. when it goes from this very melodical thing and he, he switches the pickups to the bridge pick and doo, 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 doo. like, it, it, it's one of the things when I, when I learned it, it was like I had to put the guitar down because I thought I was going to burst into flame because it was just it, it felt like holy ground. Like it felt like I, I, I made the sound from that. Re how how is that accessible to me? A mortal, you know, like that, that. So to see him play it and also it be undercut with this just very eloquent, beautiful way of describing the the character and the potential for expression with the guitar. I mean, Edge also talks about, like, it's my voice. That's how I communicate with the world. I can't talk about it. It talks for me. And I think that's something that's, I think with you 2 being very much Bono's show, really, you, it, 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 we miss out on that. I, I didn't know the Edge from anybody. Like, when I start, sat down and watched it, I, like, I don't really care about you 2 And afterwards, I was like, this, that's the guy, right? Like, that... <laughs> Bono's entertaining. I, I'll, I'll give like he's a great lyricist I, I, and, and a, a song or a singer. But 
this is the guy to watch. This is the force behind it. <laughs> that's that's how I came to it. Sorry, I, I, I just have a I lot felt of that. I felt that way too when you first told us about the movie. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, it's Jack White, Jimmy Page, and The Edge. I think I was definitely, and it, it goes along with my order earlier, where I was like, okay, I'm excited to see this Jack White, Jimmy Page movie or documentary, and The Edge is there too. <laughs> no knock on him, right? But I just <laughs> didn't think that's what I'd be coming in for. But I finished it thinking, you know, I'd love to have a beer with any of them. I don't know what I would say to all of them. And then the Jack White beer just would be a very talk. weird beer but <laughs> i think you know you'd end up in edge. a fight with jack <laughs> there, there would be some right. you'd fight somebody else somebody looked at him the wrong <laughs> there we go but yeah it just seemed like um i don't know i just i don't know like i said so like jimmy page comes across as just the, this legend but also still very down to earth i think i felt that way about the edge too where it's like wow I, I really like this guy i, I don't know I, same with you where that's not what I, I thought I was going in for, but I ended up being like, this is a really cool dude. I love his music. I love the way he thinks about music. Um, love the way he's talked about his history with the band. I just like him a lot. So I think each of them were a pl- pleasant surprise to hear a little bit more about each in their own ways, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I actually have a couple of questions for the group. If you want, we can sort of... Yes, please. Make, I, I make just have turn. loose loose notes with a lot of quotes and so please give us some structure well my first question is for the sequel are we calling it it might get louder or it might get loud again or it remains loud remains loud. (laughs) the song remains loud (laughs) it's still loud seriously seriously what what do you think (laughs) tell me everybody vote vote now on your devices (laughs) operators are standing by i I think it might be, uh, it might get quiet. Like yeah. as, as a, like, I don't know. I mean, Jimmy's still around, like, yeah. but he, I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. That's a sad thing to think about. I mean, we lost Van, Eddie Van Halen and Neil, Neil Peart in the last eight months. Right. Like, and we, would you, would you want to see the same three guys? I, well, I see, had that, that as question a, two. Okay. See, who would I had you pick? A, yeah. That's, your, that's the one I'm here sequel. for. Yeah. <laughs> right? Question two is, okay, now we've got a name for your sequel. Who do you put in it? And I living or dead either, or the whole, this whole question was inspired by me. Absolutely wishing like pacing my apartment and like my nerves on fire upset that I'm never going to get to hear Jack White and Stevie Ray Vaughan play together. And I was like, oh, well, what about, you know, who else is dead who I wish could be in this? Because there are a lot of people, obviously. Um, it's like, ah, so many who would be great to be in one version of this. So it started with who, what dead people would you put in a sequel? And then I got sick of that and went, just anybody, who anybody? Because I was starting to put them together with the trios and it wasn't working with only dead people. And I just, who would you put in your version of this, your sequel? So I, I have a suspicion Tim would want it to be drummers. Oh no, I, was, I would do a oh. guitar one. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about guitarists. I didn't. didn't well, I want to hear guitar. Tim's because he was champing at the bit for the, the the cat the recast. Well, okay, so I've I've got to I've got to have an alternate then because I wasn't thinking about people who were dead. So that's going to have to change my answer. So my my answer was uh, uh, Jerry Cantrell, who I think is my my favorite guitarist. You know, because that's that's sort of the thing is like I'm not a guitarist at my core. But when it comes to guitar, you know, the, as opposed to just, oh, this is a band I like, you know, 
I think his guitaring, his guitar playing is the, 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 what influenced my guitar playing the most. Um, so, so Jerry can't for, for those of, for the listeners unknown and me, Allison chains. Yes. By the way. Oh shit. I thought, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was, which was also my favorite grunge band. Like, yeah. like Pearl jam was, so was fine. Good. You know, Allison like lo- so lots good. of people like love Soundgarden, like Soundgarden, but, but like, like, yeah. Alice in Chains, that was the one that, like, spoke to me, my teenage years. That was what defined, like, my my concept of what grunge was. Um, so, yeah, so him. So, and then it would be Alex Lifeson, the guitarist for Rush, who, I, I mean, I mean, he's, he's a great guitarist. Like, I think, you know, he's he's too good for me. So he didn't really influence my guitar playing at all. But obviously him being a third of the band Rush, like influenced my sort of like uh, uh, my, my tastes and in terms of like songwriting. Um, and then that's the thing, too, is I, I definitely don't necessarily like his his solos per se. It's more like his role within the band as far as songwriting that I really dig, you know, like the the chords he chooses or like the like little riffs that he'll play. Um and then Ani DeFranco would be my third. From, from Ani DeFranco. Oh, okay. I, I don't. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no. So, like, so she's that's, just a, a that's solo. That's me being an ass. Some... It's me being dumb. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I only know the names of people in my favorite bands, and not even in all of my favorite bands. So, like, <laughs> so I can't just pick things up my name. So, so I, I, I got into her sort of. This was, I think, like post college when I was. Uh, I think it was during, yeah, during my blockbuster days, maybe post blockbuster days, and sort of the 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 people I was hanging out with, and I think the girls dating specifically kind of introduced me to Ani DeFranco and I mean you know she introduced me to a lot of her music a lot of it I didn't like at all but like Ani DeFranco I was just like oh shit like she is legit like both like as a songwriter as as an artistic activist um as and but as a guitar player like like I um you know, and this was sort of the thing too, is like you know and I I think I've talked about this with Yule Jewel like the you know the idea of like with a lot of you know, music that could be considered folk, you know, where you have your, your, your Bob Dylan where it's like, well, it's really just poetry and the music is just kind of the background and, and sort of what's being played in a Bob Dylan song isn't, isn't great. It's just there to support the lyrics because the lyrics are the focus. Um, and that's why a lot of the times I, I don't tend to like singer songwriter stuff. Cause it's just like, Oh yeah, that's those same three chords, which is fine. If you, if you're, if your lyrics are your main focus, but with Ani DeFranco, like her guitar playing is like a counterpoint to her lyrics and, and, and her singing. And it's, it was just amazing to hear that like, Oh good. Like you can be this sort of singer songwriter kind of folk type musician and still like play the shit out of your guitar. And, and, and it's all, most of it's acoustic too, you know? And, um, and it was interesting too, cause it was kind of also, I think around the same time, like Dave Matthews came out and on some of his songs, he does like a similar thing where it's not just, Oh, let me strum some chords. You know, he's actually playing like, like lines and, you know, uh, like these, these, these kind of re- repeated figures. And then I think around then, too, or maybe it was after then too, like, you know, Rage Against the Machine, same thing, like these riff based bands, as opposed to like chord progression based bands. Um, so that kind of was really cool. It really 
opened me up to that. But I, I still feel like even though I've gotten into other people, like like with Dave Matthews and like with Tom Morello, I feel like she's still like the best at it. You know, and the fact that, you know, like not, not as a knock against, you know, bands like Rage, you know, a lot of them do depend on like distortion for this heaviness. And like with Ani DeFranco, it's like all acoustic. Like everything you're hearing is what she's playing. It's kind of the antithesis of that of that edge moment from the from the movie. Mm-hmm. Like like she is just physically playing everything. Like there's no, I mean, maybe there's some reverb, you know. But um, so so I definitely just like yeah, like like totally dug her vibe. Um, totally just like you know, she was like instantly. I was like, this is one of the best guitarists I've ever heard. You know, like um, and uh, yeah, and and she, you know, she's. Also, like, also a really good songwriter, and you know, so it wasn't just like kind of her fading into the background. Again, I think that's what was part of it. Is like it also proved to me that you can kind of do folk music and music that is lyrically driven, and the lyrics are the most important thing, but still play a kick-ass guitar part along with it. You don't have to just play like simple-ass chords, you know. Um, so, so yeah, so the three of them—that's who I'd really want to see and see them try to try to play some stuff together. How that would work and. Um, and there's actually, I wasn't aware of this till recently, but there is a uh, um, an Alice in Chains cover of Tears by Rush from the 2112 album. And it's it's, wow. it's amazing. Yeah. Damn. Scott, what yeah. about you? I see. I, I started trying to put together trios that worked. And I, I never quite managed the thing this did where, you know, I went, oh, yeah, you know. Oh my god! I just blanked on everybody's names. Holy shit! Who's in this? Edge, Jack, and Jimmy. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, I would go. Oh yeah, you know White and Paige, sure. And oh, the Edge. What? And I, you know, I was confused at first, but it came together. I never managed that. I just, I couldn't. I don't know. Maybe I don't know the music well enough. So, in keeping with some themes that just kind of work on their own, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix, and Eric Clapton would be great together, I think, because they all have a very clear root in this sort of proto-country blues, and it just all went everywhere else, right? Stevie would be so happy to be in a room with Jimmy Page. Stevie yeah. wanted to be Jimmy so bad. I, yeah. yeah, that would be... Clapton, I don't know. Clapton is a bit racist. Jimi so Hendrix, I, I said. Yeah, I don't know. You said Clapton, though. Like, I did. Oh, I, did I say Paige? Yo, yeah, Hendrix. you said Page. Sorry. Like, See, I, 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 the surprise for me, and the whole reason I put Hendrix and Clapton together was because they played together, apparently. I don't know if they that, publicly That makes not. sense. Yeah, but yeah, that would have been... The story was, you know, apparently that they played, and then Clapton came off and was just like, why did no one tell me he was as good as he is? But I, <laughs> the thing is, every time I, I think of that story, that anecdote, it confuses me. Like the same thing right. as when you say that Anne Frank and Dr. King would have been the same age. Yeah. They seem what? like from different like, storybooks. Yes, yep. exactly. She's from World War II and Nazis and black and white and good and evil. And he's from color television and Vietnam and muddled morals and no, you know, et cetera. Like it's such a, such a contrast that when I think about those two, I'm like, oh, but, but you know, they did, they played together. So I'd love to see them musically hash it out. And then I'd love Stevie Ray Vaughan for that sudden, that like injection of, of simplif- the Jack White thing, right? Of the going back to basics, just plus the fact that he can just fill a room with sound. I, I don't know. Stevie's crazy. That's... Like technique wise, yeah. attitude wise, like 
yeah i i mean just like you said it he could fill a room period a room yeah but. um thematically otherwise john frashanti and Dwayne allman would go great together i think who's Fashami from uh chili peppers on and off again oh fuck goes. damn but, but uh he he also dabbles in slide guitar uh, and Dwayne Allman was maybe one of the greatest slide guitarists who ever lived unfortunately there's not a lot of meat to his catalog because he died in a motorcycle accident very young um so who knows where that would have gone but I I kind of struggled with who to put them with third wise and I kind of settled on Blue Oyster Cult apparently Donald Roser Roser don't know how to pronounce that because there's something about like their they sort of took the thing that white disdained about the eighties the size, but they put it into real rock, I guess. I don't know. Right. Like real stories that they were telling. And there's something, you know, storytelling is at the heart of what the Almond brothers and the Jelly Peppers are doing all the time. Right. So I, I don't know. I struggled, but if I was just going to do guitarists entirely on their own, musicality with no theming i'd keep stevie ray vaughn i think i i would need someone from the metal universe i think or maybe not maybe it would be life and there's something about like post-metal for me like mm. opeth and coed and cambria that just took what metal started and refined it in a way that works for me mm-hmm. i haven't told in a third person but my 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 second would be stone gossard from pearl jam and I would not have said this until I saw them live. Pearl Jam has had the same lineup their entire life, which is pretty impressive, honestly. Uh, didn't they get a new drummer for... Because uh, I remember Dave Abruziz was their first drummer, and I think they swapped him out for... Um, was it Phytology? I, I don't know. We all That's know it's question. my favorite album. <laughs> right. I mean, Phytology is such a black sheet, but, but like, I just think of them as this singular unit, and so much of their music is this great singular complete piece right yeah no well, that's what i re- thought at the beginning yeah you're absolutely right. right it was like oh man these guys <laughs> this is them right every everyone stands out but all equally right and then i saw them live and two things happened firstly i played a song from their original album 10 called porch which on the album is nothing why is it there it's <laughs> a brief intro verse some noise happens for like 30 seconds and then that's the it's over the, the thing ends that's it it's a beginning and an ending and there's no song nothing happens um is it porch well who cares the point is they played it live live they played the opening and they played the ending and in the middle they just let stone solo for nine minutes <laughs> i was like oh that's why this is here and suddenly you know it made more sense but but the thing that really did it was they finished with a song called yellow red better it opens and concludes with just guitar just a single i don't know melody and at the end it was just guitar and he was playing and it was going to end and the others just left they just put their instruments down and walked off the stage and and he finished his melody and then he just kept playing and it's it's very it's very calm it's not you know it's not dan it's not pearl jam it's just and he just kept playing and he kept playing and he just kind of stood there and fiddled around. We were not in the room anymore. He he wasn't on a stage. He was in a, in a in his house, you know, standing there, looking down, just kind of fiddling. And he, I don't know how long he did that for. I couldn't tell you. And then he stopped, and he was done. That was it. That was the end of the concert. And that 
the stuff he played right there at the end was like, oh my god, I why have I never heard of this man outside of Pearl Jam ever? Like it just it finally clicked. It finally clicked. So see you, Avon and Stone Gossard, and I need some kind of metal time signature madness guy to lock the third end down. But yeah, I don't know. Zeke, what about you? All right, I got the got the all-star lineup. I'm ready. So I'm going Prince, I'm going Carlos Santana, and I'm going Brian May. I shouldn't have let you go first. I wanted Prince to be my surprise, you fucker. I mean, yeah, so it's got to be Prince, got to be Carlos Santana. Um, I think I, I Brian May for, like, what I want if I'm going with, like, my all-star three. But after this, I think I could swap Jimmy Page in for, for Brian as well. Um, I also thought about Jimi Hendrix as a third, like grew up listening to a lot of him. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, so Prince and Carlos and Jimmy, like all had the way of just making the guitar sing. I like that three, but like Brian may too. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard, but my top two are for sure. Sorry for stealing Prince. Um, I knew, I'll I knew I'll if anybody was going to say Prince, it was going to be you. <laughs> because i mean that's that's my favorite clapton story is that somebody asked him what's it feel like to be the greatest guitar player on the planet he's like you gotta ask prince it's not me (laughs) (laughs) and i mean prince was huge but people forget that let's go crazy and purple rain are these incredible guitar songs and the man was just incredibly talented on, on anything he played but guitar especially like yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling like, and I don't know, it's a, it's a personality fit too. Like with making the sequel, I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to say, but I feel like not comparing talent or anything, but I feel like Prince would be the Jack White of the sequel, right? Like just in terms of like, interesting, particular about his music and very quirky. And he's got his very shaped persona that he puts out there. So I think that fills that need. Um, I guess Carlos would be, the edge uh, of my sequel. And then Brian May would be my Jimmy page of mm. the sequel. But I like that. I like my three. I'm, I'm locking that in. <laughs> I, I hate how much I like your three. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see the thing with, with Prince. I feel like it would be a great, cause Prince was, I mean, on another planet, right? Like he did not interact with the world the way the rest of us did. Cause he was like, I'm gonna play ping pong with Jimmy Fallon at midnight at the back of this club and then disappear into the shadow. Like, so I think it would be a really cool way to accept it be for him to be accessible through the electric guitar. It's not about his persona. It's not about his record. Like it's about this very specific through line. And I think that would be a great way to get, would have been a great way to get at him and get some real truth from him. Cause so much of what he was, was constructed in a performance and, like it right. would be a great intimate interaction. So the three I was thinking of was Prince and Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Cause I, that's my favorite band. And I was thinking John Mayer who people forget is an incredible guitarist and an interesting, somebody who has a lot of respect for the blues plays all those blues the blues festivals is like has the the john mayer trio which is this incredible three musicians who just play blues and funk and stuff and 
he's a different kind of commercial entity than kind of any of the other rock stars. Cause he's more of like the top 40, honestly, like what he did was more of this kind of like relationship rock pop crossover stuff, but he's an incredible guitarist as well. So I, I think that would be an interesting kind of mix. And I almost, I saw Prince almost more the ethereal Jimmy page dynamic with Joe being more of like, I don't know. Like, I guess they 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 were popular at the same age or uh, uh, periods in history. Very different avenues and, and styles. Um, yeah, I, I I think that would be an interesting mixture. I it, it's I was trying to think who else I. For me, I don't know. Like Hendrix was I, the the other person I was thinking of was Eddie Van Halen, but I feel like players like Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix are so in their own. I don't know. Like, I guess it's the same with Jimmy Page, where it's like, it, I always think about Hendrix as like a, a huge jazz kind of guy. Somebody's doing such intricate experimental things. It's almost indecipherable to, it, you understand that something is happening, but if you try to access it and find the logic behind it, it doesn't really work. It, it's just so above that. And I, I feel like Eddie, Van Halen had at a certain point when he was recording, he's like, he stopped listening to music that was coming out. That was new. He was only listening to his own stuff. So I, I feel like that would kind of be weird. Like it would be a weird dynamic that he had maybe wouldn't have heard of anybody else in, in the room. So that was kind of how I was tempering that those two. It's like Hendrix in conversation would be fascinating, but I don't know what, I don't know if he knew what he was doing. Right. Like the, the cause it, it's just, it's, nearly indecipherable like what he's doing and, and kind of hard to grasp i yeah i but i i don't know like and it, it's it's a really great question scott it's 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 like make your it's it's more difficult almost than build your super group right like who do you want on bass who do you want on drums like everybody has neil peart that's that's the drummer there's nobody else why why choose anybody else like you'd have to do a draft like okay the, <laughs> the first person to pick gets to have him but like it, it, it's an interest trying to get three guys that or three people. I think Joan Jett would also be super interesting uh, or, oh, or Lita yeah. Ford or um, uh, I oh. Nancy Wilson on my larger list here. Yeah. 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 From heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. Talk about like a Zeppelin influence. She, yeah. she's a fucking incredible guitarist. And I think that that's another, di like there's a lot of, uh, a male guitarist but like that that mm -hmm. would be a, a great like i think joan jett would be a really interesting uh, uh, a contrast to everybody because who's more badass than joan jett very yeah. very i don't she wasn't the lead guitarist but she she's a guitarist she wrote those songs and she's this force like mm -hmm. that that would be well okay not to not to steal prince then i'll i'll do <laughs> john mayer joe perry and joan jett Triple J. I like that. All the yeah. J. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, Scott, did you have other questions? I'm going to look at my notes here real quick. And then... I mean, those were the big two. I had a whole bunch of artists I couldn't pair. Like I said, I was trying to put people together in ways that themed rather than just pick my favorites. And I I mean, what do, what do you think about... I came out with Nancy Wilson, Pete Townshend from The Who. Yeah. And the guitarist from Yes oh because oh yeah about yes and the who that connects for me and something about the who and heart that connects and i just wanted to see all that come together 
mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, Alex Lifeson and um, Claudio Sanchez from Coed and Cambria would have to come together. A, because Coed and Cambria have their whole 2112 song, but B, because like I mentioned about, there's something about post-metal based on what metal did with weird-ass time signatures, all of which just comes from Rush. You know, where the hell else do you trace that back to, right? right. I, I would have loved to put all that together. I guess I could make their third, whoever the guitarist is from Opeth, which is like, like a harder core version of Black Sabbath had a baby with Yes if that makes sense, right? <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. So we could put them in the room as the third person, maybe, right? What do you, what do you think? Um, and I, if you really wanted to to just to go country, right? Leonard Skinner's guy, right? Who's yeah. somewhere in my name's Rossington. Um, John Fogarty and one of the Almond yeah. Brothers, right? Just put them together in a room. And the jam session will be over 20 days later, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> It'd also but be interesting, 20. like, Pat Metheny, who's a big jazz guitarist, mm. would, would be an interesting counterpoint, too. Because kind of the unspoken rule of this is, like, they're rock guitarists, like, primarily. Yeah, yeah I mean, if we're going to expand, give me Dick Dale and, and Django Reinhardt Ooh. together in a room. <laughs> and now... What I want is the sequel nobody wants, where we do this, but with three bass players. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get the guy from Yes, you get Getty yeah. Lee, and yep. John Paul Jones. There you go. There you go. <laughs> done. <laughs> just one. One and done. Right. Uh, you just have Neil Peart talk to himself for, for six hours, and that's the drummer. Right? Well, actually, I, I was thinking what would be funny, too, is um you know if we were going to actually do this and if you were if you were limited to living people because mm-hmm. my my three if living living or dead would be uh neil peart um danny carey from tool and tim alexander from primus but what i was thinking is if we wanted to do a real version it would be still danny carey and tim alexander but then i would put lars ulrich in there just so he would feel like they're like a, this fucking loser piece of shit with these two <laughs> powerhouse monster like actual good drummers and it, i just hit stuff really hard <laughs> ouch you know it'd be a good like put a uh, grohl in the in the that would be drummer. fun that yeah. would be a good he could be everything yeah he yeah. could be in all of these he'll be our fourth man yeah yeah that would be cool i i really love him talking about how he learned to play guitar as i i mean i love i love percussionists and drummers who become other things like jack never wanted to play guitar everybody plays a guitar what's the point he's a drummer and it's funny at the time that this came out he hadn't dead weather wasn't a thing yet which is the band in which he plays drums and he hadn't done his solo stuff yet so that that but like that so much informs how he plays Steven Tyler was a drummer that so influences like the rhythmic nature of, of Aerosmith. But Grohl talks about like thinking about the guitar in terms of hi-hat and, and snare, like the, the accents and the way he's playing, he's thinking about it like a drummer, which is so cool. <laughs> like, yeah. Everybody's faking it except Jimmy Page. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite is when Dave Grohl told that story about how, like, when he was playing on SNL, when uh, Christopher Walken was the host. Did you hear about hear that? Story? I can't remember. Yeah. It's been a while. Where, where he, uh, Christopher Walken, came up to him and asked him, and he's like, "You know, your band name, like, which one is which syllable is supposed to be accent?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, it's actually fighters. It's the second." So, ladies and gentlemen, 
full fighters. <laughs> uh, if we're doing drummers, you got to give me the Arctic Monkeys drummer, though. Matt Hilders. Mm. Matt, I knew his name was Matt. I mean, I mean, he's just a machine. The whole, the, it's a music video, to be fair. But the music video for, um, I always mix this song up with another one, with The View from the Afternoon, I think, is, you know, it's this drummer just drumming for like 24 straight hours. And as the video okay. progresses, right, his hands get worse. And I, but like, it's, it's just so real. When you see him play, it looks like that. It looks mm-hmm. like that music video. <laughs> and it's absolutely metronome, metronomically on like a machine he's just excellent i don't know how you don't do ringo uh uh um keith moon and bonzo or yeah. ringo keith moon yeah. and animal from the muppets like let's let's bring that universe in there like i i just love the idea that everybody shits on ringo but put him in a room with keith moon like the amount of drugs and debauchery I like that. That's that's the duo I want to see. Is is those guys? Well, like, there's that I, interview. I wrote a song. It's called "Octopus's Garden," and we on one one of the albums. I'm not sure which one. Like, I don't know what that accent is. It's not even close to Liverpudlian. I'm, I apologize. No, but I you remind me of their their interview trolling. You know? Yeah. Do you think Ringo is the best drummer in the world? Ringo is the, the best drummer in the Beatles, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a student who like growing up like I had this kid since he was in like kindergarten like for drum set and you know he would tell me how like the Beatles were his favorite band and Ringo Starr is his favorite drummer and I just had to like smile and nod and be like I hope he grows out of that at some point (laughs) he had the haircut and kept time it's fine (laughs) um I guess we could we could move to my favorite segment. It's just like I yeah. I, I thank you guys so much for watching this and and yeah, for being open to it. Like I, it was one I was nervous to talk about. I'm always nervous to talk about. It. I don't know why you guys are my friends. Like even if you don't like the thing, we it's it's not a knockdown drag out. But like I, I, I think I, I spoke as accurate as I could about how much this movie means to me and how it resonates with me. So it was it was. I've been wanting to share it with you guys as my friends, even before we like for years, I've wanted to be able to share this with you guys. So it's, it's really cool to finally get to have the conversation about it. So thank you all for doing that. Um, yeah, of course. And on thank that you note, for bringing that to us. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is time for another situational movie. Recommendations. So what I brought was, it, it's kind of derivative, um, but favorite rockumentary um, as a situational. Um, this kind of counts. Again, it's closer to the guitar porn than it will ever be to a rock and roll documentary. But um, what would be your favorite or one you watch the most or Eagles? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to cut you off. But you what, what was it? Eagles, the Eagles, the history of the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you watch both parts? It's so long. <laughs> it's so long. Zeke <laughs> and like I have a thing where on, this is I'll our yeah. this is our uh, house sitting movie. <laughs> Whenever we house <laughs> yeah. sit, we watch. Yeah, this. that's true. You yeah. have the time. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. And then I have it. Um, I want to say it's still on the DVR at my parents' house. Um, 
or what, but yeah, I know I've DVR'd it there before and just like thrown it on. Um, but yeah, such a long one, <laughs> such a dramatic one. They're um, so temperamental. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Felder thought that he wasn't being paid enough. <laughs> Fucking bitchy ass soft rockers. <laughs> right. But just the, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and it's been parodied in documentary now. And it's, um, it's just the first thing I think of when I think of like rockumentary. So it's funny. That's, that's what I that's... put on after the, we recorded the last session. And I knew I was picking this next. I put on history of the Eagles so I could have something in the genre to tide me over until I <laughs> could watch it. <laughs> it's a solid pick. Tim, I think um, we know so... yours. Oh yeah. So, and I, I also, this is at the front of my mind because I'm not going to bring it for my next pick because I don't want to do two rock rockumentaries back to back, but uh, yeah, rush beyond the lighted stage, which is one of those, it's been on Netflix forever. And I like, it was a few years ago where you finally watched it. And like, like my wife actually watched it with me and it was like, Oh yeah, cool. You know? And it was like, I, I, I don't know why my, 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 bar was set low i think just because like i hadn't seen a lot of you know rockumentaries you know and it was just kind of like uh, i i feel like it all depends on kind of yeah how the story is told and i feel like when you've liked a band for so long you feel like you kind of know all there is to know but it was just like holy shit like i learned so much watching this like after having been a fan for years you know and, and it was great it was just so like well well done and you know well told and it's it's, it's kind of funny watching them go through all their stages, you know, and, and age, you know, like, um, but yeah, so, so that will be my pick at some point. I don't want to do it my next one. Cause I feel like having, you know, that many rockumentaries back to back is too much, but maybe not for my next pick, but maybe the one after that. What do you I don't know if I have an answer for you because I'm, I'm struggling to think of many I've even watched to begin with. You haven't seen haven't don't really... look back. No, no, one? I, on sort of on purpose i mean they're oh. round we have at least one copy in my house somewhere we might have more the way dad accumulates discs um it used to in his old film industry job um i don't know i i only want to know so much about the bands i like up to a point right and then i don't want to know about the person necessarily making the music i just want to feel the music because the more i learn about the person the more it colors my perception of the music and it feels less like I'm feeling my own feelings about it, if that makes sense. So I sort of, I dig around sometimes, I Google things, I read articles, right? Some, I, I rarely even watch interviews. I just don't, it's not something I do in the way I consume my music. Um, I mean, I can only think of, except for this, I can only think of Gimme Shelter and uh, the old Hard Day's Night black and white Beatles <laughs> as like... The only two other proper musical documentaries I've seen at all. I barely remember Give Me Shelter. So mm. I guess it has to be has to be a hard day's night. But <laughs> I do remember that. And I remember it fondly. And I remember it as you know, the Beatles have these eras they passed through, right? The like cute boy band, you know, and then they moved into the the you know, the hippie era, the the white album era. I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you. Hardy's Night was such a really interesting glimpse at that, like, packaged pop culture version of the Beatles, but as real people. It's it almost was... propaganda, that film. Like, <laughs> almost. 
Right. Like it's such a crafted and I mean, those guys are funny. Like yeah, genuinely funny. like oh, yeah. and it's something they had a lot of control over. So that's what, the thing is yeah, despite its attempts to craft a narrative, it fails. And instead it shows us a peek behind the curtain, I think, more than it ever intended. Yeah. I guess that's it. That's my answer. My favorite is definitely it might get loud now. That's the one. That's awesome. Yeah. So this this is a joke answer, but uh the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie, which is not a documentary, but it is real-time footage of the Bee Gees thinking they can act and thinking they're as cool as the Beatles. Um, I don't have you guys seen that? Oh, guess what I'm bringing. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, what a garbage film. What a, a little backstory for that. Like, it, originally they were going to act like the Bee Gees were to have, I don't know, words they say, but they realized very soon that they can't act. So they have Milton Berle narrating the whole movie. It's, it, it, it's an experience. The album that came out, like the cover, the album of covers is really good. But the movie is hot garbage. <laughs> um, seriously, I I really like Muscle Shoals. Um, it it's it's about a specific recording studio. I think it's in Louisiana, and it's 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 gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's ethereal, and it's like you can't believe how many albums came out of this tiny little studio, and the the. Um, I don't know. It, it, those records have something different about them and they kind of tie it into like this local mythology about the river and the power of the river and it flowing through in this influx of ideas in this like town that, I mean, ha- had all this kind of cultural center of like a lot of people coming here for a specific sound. It, it's, it's, it's ethereal in the same kind of way that this was. Uh, it's one I haven't seen in a long time, but Muscle Shoals is is really good. I I, I love the history of the Eagles because it's just entertaining. Like it it it's, I mean they wrote the long run. Like this is not heavy music, but Don Henley and Glenn Fry are just so up their own ass. They're they're talented, <laughs> and it's a band that's like every every summer they break up, they get back together. It, it it's just. And it's so, I, I had forgot because when I watched it recently, I just watched part one. And the way part one ends is like, oh God, there's so much more shit coming. There's two more hours of this. I, I always <laughs> like to say that Fleetwood Mac is the reason people think the Eagles was a peaceful band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you for joining me for uh, Music Bumble yeah. this session. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for bringing it to us, really. That was a, a wonderful time and an excellent film. We haven't had much documentary to begin with. We haven't yeah. had almost any focus on music. So thank you for bringing us something new and something so integrally, integrally so much a part of you. Thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that to us, really. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, next month is you. Is me. And I, I have no idea what you're picking. And it's scary. out of ideas. And I have 
you know the list right but the idea is that every month something comes up that i'm thinking about or that we've talked about or that i'm just feeling or what that didn't happen this month so what happened instead was sarah turned to me and said you should bring cabin in the woods to the podcast and i said you know that's on my list and i love it and i also really want to talk about horror as a genre and what better vehicle to do that with than cabin in the woods so yeah we're watching cabin in the woods that's that's amazing we've all seen it right it sounds like it. Is this the first yeah. one we've all seen? Oh, that's that a big deal. Equilibrium. We'd have to check the list. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to check the list, but yeah, that might be. Well, we've all seen we we've all seen them now. <laughs> There's all well, sure. one Zeke hasn't seen that we've all seen, but True. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is going to be Cabin in the Woods. I damn nice. I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited. Have we had a more traditional horror yet? Either. I mean, we did Ex- Exorcist. And we did. That's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Shining. Uh, Shining. Shining and Johnny and sure. Darko isn't really traditional, and neither no, is exactly. uh, Ice Without a Face. So between uh, okay, yeah. So we do have a little bit of a, a groundwork for our our listeners, right? Because Cabin in the Woods, on the one hand, is exactly what it sounds like: some teenagers go to a cabin. It's in the middle of the woods. Horror movie happens. Lots of people die. But on the other hand, the whole film is. Uh, a commentary, commentary. send up <laughs> of that kind of movie and it just works it, it works well on its own but it works even better when you're familiar with horror i am so excited like this is gonna be like the, yes thank you thank you for thanks to sarah <laughs> yeah this was her doing Woo! yay sarah yeah so it's gonna be great uh we hope you'll join us there listeners and you know maybe pass the time listening to some new music until next time, goodbye. It might get loud. Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next. 